welcome to Subversion with 1517. I'm your host, Zach Slaybeck. Subversion is a podcast dedicated to exploring big ideas, pushing against accepted opinion, and just maybe inciting more creative subversion in society. This week is another episode of Double Shot. Double Shot is a short conversation with the 1517 team about the ins and outs of running a venture-backed startup. We break down the unspoken conventions and everything you should know before you get started. Today, I am joined by Danielle to discuss the role of angel investors and how to find them. We discuss where most angel investors come from, why they may invest, and the differences between smart money, dumb money, and quiet money. Just as an example, this past week at our social, I was asked by an attendee how to raise for a company pre-product that requires a lot of building. Beyond getting as far as you can by bootstrapping together different resources, this would be a good case in which to approach an angel investor with whom you already have an established relationship. Our previous conversations with Michael on early stage venture capitalists outlines the importance of some kind of traction before raising from institutional VCs. Before we get started, a quick word that Subversion is a production of 1517 Fund. 1517 Fund supports teams led by young founders with grant, pre-seed, and seed funding. Hackers, makers, and those building new technologies outside of tracked institutions can learn more about working with 1517 Fund at 1517fund.com forward slash take dash action. That's 1517fund.com forward slash take dash action. Because a real education is a liberation. And now, this week's show on Angel Investors. One of the questions that we get pretty often, you know, that Nick and I have talked about a couple times is the role of angel investors. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know how angel investors, besides being individuals versus being a, a firm, are different than early stage investors. So can you just break down what the role of angel investors are, um, how they differ from an early stage venture capital fund, and not just in the size of the check, obviously, but also their role in the company? Sure, Zach. It's a great question. Um, I will caveat this with saying that, uh, you know, I'm not, I am not an angel investor, so I'm speaking from the experience that I had with other angel investors. Um, hopefully someday I will become an angel investor and that would be really fun. Um, <laughs> in part because the, uh, you know, sort of as the name implies, uh, an angel investor is someone who comes in uh, and might act a little bit like an angel for you. Um, there's someone who comes in very, very early, um, you know, sometimes often like pre-prototype just during the idea stage to help you with your company, not just in an advisory capacity, but also financially. Um, oftentimes an angel investor is someone who has experience uh, in the field you're in and can really offer a lot of expertise and can see the promise in something because they've been there before too. So I think the part of the role of the angel investor is actually like a deep, deep empathetic role. Um, you know, they can see, oh, you know, you're, you're building out a social network, you know, like uh, I know an angel investor who was uh, early on at LinkedIn. And so that person is, you know, particularly primed to talk to people about, you know, if they want to do anything that has a social component to it. Uh, and they understand very, very deeply how difficult it is to get started, you know, what the pros and cons are, um, the pitfalls and things like that. Um, 
you know, from a check size perspective, angel investors, um, you know, it does tend to be somewhere between, you know, maybe like 10K to 50K, sometimes up to 100. Um, but usually it is in the very earliest stages when people just need a little bit of money to get off the ground um, when they're getting started. So that's, that's sort of, I guess, a, a couple more things I would say about angels is that um, I don't, I don't really think about angels like I think about um, maybe like institutional investors. It's like oftentimes you, you don't know who angel investors are. I mean, some people, you know, will sort of um, tout that they do angel investing. A lot of people don't because they don't want to be approached kind of like a firm about investments. You know, they want things that are specific. Um, often that relationship with the founder is really important. So it might be someone who has mentored you for a while. Um, it might be through an introduction that somebody makes and says, hey, I think you really like working together, go from here. So it's not like they're a business hanging a shingle saying like, hey, you know, uh, come to me for investment. I mean, some people, some people are happy to let you know that, um, but other people are certainly more private. So that relationship building piece uh, is important. We certainly get asked by companies when they come to us for investment, it might be too early for us. You know, we'll talk about, you know, is there anyone who you can work with in your, in your network who might be able to help you out with a small check to get started. Um, and of course, we always brainstorm ourselves. Are there angels that we know who we think would be a good fit, who we can make a strong recommendation to? So let's say that somebody is listening right now and they don't have a pre-existing like mentor-mentee relationship with a high net worth individual who could be an angel mm. investor. How would you recommend that they go about uh, doing that component you've just talked about? You know, trying to approach somebody and say, "Hey, here's an opportunity. I, I'm, I'm interested in a twenty-five thousand dollar investment." Or do they just need that relationship first? I think I think the relationship comes first, especially if it's someone who isn't sort of advertising that they do uh, angel investing. So. Um, you know, there's that adage, um, ask for advice, get money, ask for money, get advice. Um, I think that does somewhat hold. Um, so I think it is good to approach people who you think could be strategic and who you think uh, would have the capital to be able to go in, you know, and go in and ask for that advice and support. And you can tell people like, yeah, you know, one of my bottlenecks right now is a funding piece because, you know, with... 50k of funding, I would be able to do X, Y, and Z and test out these assumptions that I have about what I'm building. But right now, you know, because of the uh, the capacity that you know I can bootstrap, I can only really, you know, focus and experiment on these two parts of my company. So you don't necessarily have to make it like a like a I'm asking that person for money, but letting them know like here are your constraints, and you know if you had more resources, here's what you would do with it. Um, you know, sometimes like uh, when 1517 was fundraising, we would approach people who, you know, had sort of expertise in what we needed um, and people who we thought might be able to participate in some way. But the ask was always like, you know, do you or someone you know, like have the capability to help in that sort of way? So it's also about making those connections to to any, anybody who could potentially help. Now, somebody who's advertising, you know, like maybe their LinkedIn says that they do angel investing, um, you might be able to be a little bit more forward with and, you know, say, hey, I'd love to meet, I'd love to talk 
we do about my work, I think you could add a lot of strategic advice. Um, you know, I do think I'm at an angel investing stage, understanding that angel investing usually takes a little bit of time and some relationship built, but you'd really like to get started um, with talking with that person, introducing them to the work, uh, so that maybe down the line they can make that decision on, you know, if writing a check is appropriate for them. Now, like all investing, this is a two-way street, right? But I think mm -hmm. for a lot of the young people I've spoken to, especially if they're not in the Bay Area, getting mm -hmm. an angel investor is such such a high priority at times that there's there's mm -hmm. a difference between what the the phrase I've heard is smart money versus dumb money or or loud money versus quiet money, right? Um, sure. So in, in, in that, it means an angel investor who can really bring the expertise to the table, like the individual you mentioned to us early on at LinkedIn, right? Uh, yeah. Versus somebody who, especially outside of the Bay Area, you know, maybe they made their money in real estate, right? But mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. either know you or uh, they are interested in doing startup investments. How would you mm -hmm. recommend that somebody who's mm -hmm. going about the angel investing kind of fundraising route, uh, try to make that delineation between those kinds of investors? Yeah, first, I'd like to give some working definitions for each of those types, because I think sometimes quiet money and, and quote, dumb money um, get put in the same box together, and they're very different, um, at least in my opinion. So smart money is, is what it sounds like. It's someone who brings a check to the table, they bring experience, uh, maybe in the industry, maybe they bring leadership experience. Um, you know, they're, they've been investors before. This isn't their first rodeo. Uh, you know, and what's especially true here is that they're patient. Um, and this, this is something that both smart money and, and quiet money should have as a, as a sort of a, a litmus test, is that patience test. Um, quiet money is someone who maybe, you know, uh, maybe wants to get into investing Maybe for them it's a learning experience, um, but they also understand, uh, you know, that that it's a patient timeline. I mean, maybe they're also a very experienced angel investor, but they just don't have a lot of bandwidth for the advisor type role. But again, they understand that, you know, they're not looking for a return for many, many years, if ever. Um, so they're not going to be the type of person who is sort of like bugging you about company markups. Um, on a very frequent, regular basis. Um, some money, on the other hand, uh, from what we've seen, is money where they don't have a good expectation of the timeline uh, you know, on a business, whether it's a small or medium-sized business uh, or a venture business of like what that timeline is. And so these people will be calling you all the time to kind of like ask how the business is doing, but in this way that's sort of anxious um, because they're thinking they're going to be getting a return in like a year's time or maybe even two years time, something like that. Um, you know, they might be texting you questions about like, Hey, when's your next round going to start? Where's the markup? Where's this? Um, and it just be, starts to become clear that they got into it out of like excitement. Um, but they don't understand the patient part of it. Um, there might be another aspect of the money where you know, maybe the advice like that they're giving is not applicable. I mean, this is, this is something that you would suss out with any sort of advisor, whether or not they were putting in capital is, is, uh, is someone trying to get in the driver's seat of your company and say, Hey, you should do, you know, uh, this piece of advice that I'm giving you right now. And, 
you know, maybe that person's advice is good, but maybe it's not good for your situation in particular, uh, or maybe it was applicable five or 10 years ago, but it's not now. Um, but someone who's like very insistent, uh, you know, that you sort of do it their way, like that person's trying to gain control um, over your actions. And, you know, you want people who are going to give advice, be willing to, you know, let you do the decision making and go from there. So I think those, those would be some of the ways that I would like define those categories. And so you want to ask questions to people. Um, and, you know, this goes for actually new VC firms too. Um, ask like, how many investments have you made? Um, what's your investment philosophy? What do you expect in terms of returns? How frequently would you like to communicate? Like you on the founder side need to find this information out. I think it's great to ask for references and say like, I'd love to talk to someone that you've worked with before. Now, if you've like worked with this person as a, had like a mentor mentee relationship for a long time, I don't think you need to do that sort of diligence piece because you've already had that going with the person. You know, you've learned over time, like here's the advice they give and things like that. Uh, and you should have a really good sense for you know, does this person really understand the timelines here and can they be patient? Um, but if you don't have a pre-existing relationship, I do think that it's important to, you know, kind of just like do background checks on each other, um, essentially, and, you know, find out if you think that working relationship together will be good over a longer term. Danielle, thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>